Hey everyone, my question I'm posing you today is, is the Lord using COVID-19 to sift the church? And if so, what's next? What is our response? Now, regardless of your personal beliefs about the origins of the coronavirus, and regardless of whether you agree or not with how the CDC and our government have handled things concerning it, there's a belief system forming around COVID and how we should respond to it that is falling along ideological lines. And I believe it's pivotal. That is, I believe that we are in the days of Elijah when he challenged God's people Israel. And he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then serve him. And if it's Baal, then serve him. Now, what do I mean by that? I think it is possible to be divided or not totally clear in your beliefs concerning the virus itself. Certainly, we've seen families where perhaps the husband's very cautious about staying home and avoiding contact, and the wife isn't ruffled a bit, or vice versa. But what I think we're seeing, and I noticed this from the get-go back in March when things first hit the fan, is that there are two camps emerging. One is energized by COVID and by the stats and by the government mandates controlling people's movements. And the other is suspicious of the narrative, questioning some of the reports coming out, questioning what they see as government overreach from their mayors and governors, and in all of it, believing that the church must not indefinitely remain in lockdown, if indeed that was ever a good idea to begin with. So as many pastors have pointed out, the cliche we've seen bandied about is the church is not a building. Well, while that is true, the church, by definition of the original Greek word ecclesia, is a gathering. It's an assembly of people together. It's not people sitting at home isolated. A pastor friend of mine recently told me how this spring a man approached him who wanted desperately to be baptized, but this man's own pastor wouldn't do it because of COVID. And my friend pointed out that all the basic tenets of Christianity that we are instructed to do as the church, baptism, laying on of hands, anointing of oil by the elders, assembling, corporate prayer, worship, all these things require getting together. Now, I did prayer on Zoom nearly every single night for 50 days straight with the church body, and I was thankful for that time. But I can tell you it was nothing like meeting in person to pray when we resumed our prayer meetings. Just the sense of the manifest presence of God and the ease in entering into the way his spirit was leading us and just the joy of being with brothers and sisters and a sense of partaking in their burdens and in them sharing ours. It's night and day when you're talking about physical separation or togetherness. And so back in May, when the president announced that churches are essential and that assembling should resume as pastors see fit, I was stunned to see a number of professing Christians, including church leaders, rebuke the president. Some even openly mocked him for affirming the necessity of the church. Now, I happen to live in a state with a governor who has become very unpopular because of his overreach, but also because he has acted unilaterally and some would argue reckless, recklessly changing his position and deciding who is essential and who can stay open on a weekly basis, which has caused all kinds of confusion. And actually it's in effect ruined many family businesses. And so while nursing home residents are living right now like prisoners in our state without family members allowed access to them, um, sometimes even through a window, um, the abortion clinics have remained open and funded 
with stimulus money. That is our money. And I was actually, as a matter of fact, vigiling, prayer vigiling at one last week and noticed that an unlimited amount of family members were accompanying some of these girls into the clinic to get their abortions. And that really hit me because in our hospitals, in our um, medical system, um, many times not even one person is allowed in many cases to come into an ICU, um, to be an advocate for their patients. These people just rolled right in to the abortion clinic, um, this medical facility, quote. So, um, yeah, it, that, that was an eye-opener. And also under the regulations imposed unilaterally by our governor, I couldn't get my daughter, my young daughter, into see an eye doctor, even though she was having issues and I was really concerned about it. Now, I could, if I wanted to, get my barn cat in to see a vet. There wasn't a problem there. So that, that disparity, that double standard, uh, really appalled me. But all that to say, for this and a myriad of other reasons, my governor does not have my vote of confidence that the citizen's best interest is at the forefront of his decisions. Nevertheless, if my governor, despite his record and his rhetoric, had in any way affirmed the church, which I would take as honoring and affirming the Lord and the Lord's influence, I would have been elated and very supportive of that reference, regardless of any other personal opinions toward him. So for pastors to be so full of bitterness and pride that they would openly mock and deride the nation's leader for affirming the church says quite a lot about, about the kind of men that those individuals are and about the path that they're on and where they're leading others in their congregations. And that leads me to 2 Thessalonians 2. I believe we're living in a 2 Thessalonians 2 moment. Paul warned the church not to be deceived, not to get schnookered by claims that the day of the Lord had already arrived. Paul knew that there were rumblings and rumors, and he told the church in Thessalonica to watch for certain signs to happen first. And this is what he says. He says this in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, Let no one in any way deceive you, for the day of the Lord will not come until the apostasy comes first. Apostasy means falling away. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So here we see this definition of the man of lawlessness. He demands worship, he exalts himself above God, and he's a precursor of his coming, of, of the man of lawlessness coming. A precursor of his coming is that the church starts to fall into apostasy. Apostasy is the act of falling away from your convictions, from your faith. Do we see that today? Is it on an unprecedented scale? I would say yes. Paul goes on to say in verse 7, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Many scholars agree that the restraining agent in the earth, there's the thing that holds back the lawlessness, is a reference to the Holy Spirit and present in the church. So the Holy Spirit residing and presiding in the church holds back this man of lawlessness. That is the pervading thought. Um, please feel free to study that on your own and draw your own conclusions. 
and as the church diminishes, falls away, backslides in its faith and its fear of the Lord, this Antichrist figure emerges. Verse 8, then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming, the Lord's coming. So when Christ comes on the scene, there will be a final showdown between him and this worker of iniquity. That is the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. So Satan's agendas and purposes in the earth work in cooperation with the rise of this man of lawlessness. With all power and signs and false wonders, verse 10, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. This is key here, guys. The people who fall away, who maybe start out as believers, they start out on the right track. They really love the Lord. They don't finish the race. Why? Because they did not love the truth. What's truth? Jesus is truth. His word is truth. And his word is becoming increasingly unpopular in a culture that demands tolerance and political correctness. And that doesn't want to hear about sin and hell and the wrath of God. For this reason, for what reason? Well, because these individuals did not love the truth. And guys, again, I believe this is talking about believers, Christians, professing Christians, those who have some knowledge of God. I believe this applies to people we would refer to as the church. God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Friends, this is scary. This is a scary and severe passage of scripture. God sends a judgment on people at the end of the age who they didn't love the truth. They started to believe things that weren't true. And it was like they, they kept on in this. And so finally, you know, God pursues us for so long. And then finally he, he sends a judgment and this judgment is so terrible. It's like, he actually sends something upon them that they, they can no longer recognize the truth. It's a, a terrible state to be in. So what's taking pleasure in wickedness? Well, it, it's going along with it. It's not standing up to it. That's who these people are that this passage is describing. When you're energized by COVID numbers because you think it will shut down your country and your economy and bring about an agenda that will capsize the nation and usher in socialist principles of tyranny and oppression, and you call yourself a Christian, I urge you to examine your heart. You guys, I examine my heart. I ask all the time, oh Lord, help me if any way I am like a vulture and I feed off of anything that's of Satan's kingdom, if anything of the evil one energizes me or, or or causes me to think, oh, I hope I hope it'll go in this direction because of this evil that happened. No, that is horrible. That is horrible thinking. And I lean wholly on the Holy Spirit to deliver me and to correct that thinking in me should it crop up. 
So if, if you're into scolding and shaming people, perhaps not even with words, but with a silent, latent hostility, and I'm sorry, I've seen this all over social media from professing Christians, I urge you to examine your heart. What I'm trying to say in all this is that there is a real virus and it is being used, however, to propagate agendas. And some of the agendas are very wicked. And there are Christians who are aligning with these agendas and enthused about the virus. Yes, I have seen it. I have seen crocodile tears over COVID numbers and gleeful postings of how bad things are and how bad the American people are for not doing what they were told. And they're absolutely worshiping this thing. By the way, the word corona means crown, as many of you know. And one of my pastors pointed out, this thing wants to be worshipped, wants people to give it all their attention, all their time, all their fear, all their concern, all their preoccupation. That's what worship is. It's giving first place to something. And I personally can't believe how fast things are unfolding that we see in Revelation in the end times. That reaction to the virus, not the virus itself, has been used to propagate. Things like food shortages and inflation. And just this month, there was another push forward toward digital currency in a cashless society. Mandatory vaccinations, identification, contact tracing. All this stuff is just absolutely horrifying. It's the stuff of an Orwellian nightmare. And my concern above all is that there are people who profess to be Christians and they don't see any of it. They don't get it. And I see believers who, meanwhile, it's like the lines of right and wrong are suddenly blurring for them. As wickedness and lawlessness increase, they're drifting further away from what previously would have shocked them, from what years ago would have been unthinkable. And this is what Second Thessalonians 2 describes. They did not love the truth that would have saved them, and so God sent them a deluding spirit. Guys, I'm going to be very blunt here. If you continue to listen to the voice of your news media and put credence in Hollywood and all the other cultural voices out there, you're giving place to a deceiving spirit. And even though you might pray and read your Bible, the problem is you're getting two streams of thought. One that is clear, that is pure, that is God's voice, God's thoughts, and one that is polluted. And what happens to a clear stream when it hits a polluted or poisonous agent? Usually, if it's toxic enough, the whole thing becomes contaminated. Jesus said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of negative influence, a little bit of deception, a little bit off the path leaves you completely deceived, completely off the path, completely in error. We are in the days of Elijah when he challenged God's people Israel and he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then serve him. And if it's Baal, then serve him. And you remember what scripture said? It says the people answered him not a word. They were passive, silent, so much like God's people today. They had to see fire fall from heaven before it knocked their breath out of them and restored their senses. And they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. My brothers and sisters, let's be those people who choose this day whom we will serve. No matter the cost, no matter the outcome, let us say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.